Putting the ain't in saint, you're listening to Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show. And now here's your host, Drew Marshall. So every time I hear Huey, Huey Lewis, yes, sir, I have great memories. Why is that? Because I went to his concert at the uh, Canada's Wonderland. Oh yeah, yeah, tent. Yeah. Yep. Concert place with the tent and the Canada, poles just say in the, the, the tent. You saw the concert at Canada's Wonderland, right? And I was in—I don't know—I think my third oh. year of grade nine, and I found out. Thank you. <laughs> You're good at this. I no, I I was. They're an amazing band. I shouldn't tell this story, but I'm going to. They were hand. My friends were handing out pills. Oh, okay. Like you know, kids. For, for kids, if you're diarrhea, listening, don't do this for diarrhea. And so and stuff I like said, that. I'm six four. I'm a big guy. I should take two. <laughs> Security had their flashlight. Do you know this story? No, I'm just imagining what's going to happen. Next. Security had their flashlights all on me because I'd shimmied up one of the support systems up to the tent, the roof, and I had my shirt off. <laughs> 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 I was escorted out. And you had that lovely afro that you had. And I did. I had my big fro. Yeah, you, you look like a used Q-tip. <laughs> really? Yes. It's just disgusting. Sorry. Whereas Dave Smiley looked like a not used. That's right. He yeah. had the blonde wigs. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, wig. now a good friend of mine who I think may still be in the country unless uh, she's stuck at the border. I can think of many reasons why she would be stuck at the border. Bryn Friedman, she is uh, editorial director and curator of the TED Institute, award-winning television producer, investigative journalist, and author. Bryn Friedman joined TED in 2014. And uh, in her work with TED, Bryn creates and, and executes at conference events for Fortune 500 companies, overseeing all editorial content as well as managing speaker coaches and determining both the topics for each talk and uh, the overall conference theme. Basically, she's uh, bossy, is what yes. this, this whole bio says yeah. right here. Ladies and gentlemen, on the line, Bryn Friedman. Hello, Bryn Friedman. How are you? I'm quite well. Uh, um, are you still in our country? No, I made it across the border last night. Not true. I guess they didn't get my message. <laughs> I actually told them all about you, and I told them what I think, and they said, you, you need to get out of here now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, so, Bryn, you know, you and I first uh, met a, a number of years ago. I think at the po that point, uh, it was at a TED conference in Long Beach, and we met at this rooftop pool party where all the... You know, there were some big names there, including um, Ken Hertz. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If that's a big name to, for you, Drew, I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know. No, it, I think Goldie Hawn was there and, and uh, somebody else. I can't remember. I just remember the big flashy pool, and you and I had a great conversation. And at that point in your career, you were working for OWN, the Oprah Winfrey yes. Network. Um, and tell everyone uh, just a little bit about this uh this reality TV show that you were a big part of for so many years. Are you talking about intervention? Yes, I am. Okay. So, um, yes, I was the original showrunner, executive producer for intervention, which at the time people were horrified at the idea that we would be showing and they were afraid that we would be exploiting 
people with addiction and, um, you know, our intention. And uh, I think, you know, the result was that we, in fact, were able to educate people about addiction and really look at what it felt like from the addict's point of view, from the family's point of view, and um, had just an incredible success rate of getting people clean and sober. I think uh, at least at the time I was there, we had about an 80% success rate over a long period of time. So that was, if you consider that, I think 5% of people who walk into a 12-step program stay. It was pretty extraordinary. Um, But I am a a massive, don't get me wrong, I am a huge, massive, and a 12-stepper myself, uh, an Al-Anon person. So I think 100% of the people who stay in those programs do incredibly well, but it's just hard to get people to stay and to change their habits, change their neural pathways, and I think change their capacity to see something larger than themselves. Uh, This show won an Emmy, true story? A couple of Emmys, uh, the President's Award, um, yeah, so um, many, many different awards. Uh, Can I just give you an attaboy? Hey, just an attaboy right there. Well done. Uh, that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I'm fond of Bryn Friedman. Another reason I'm fond of Bryn Friedman is because, oh, I don't know if you want this public or not. Uh, Why don't you just ask her off air? Should you have checked with me? I should have checked with you, but uh, let me just generically talk about it, and you tell me if we should stay away or not. Did you not have something to do with the, with the start of another show about celebrities? Um, yes. I'm sorry to say I did. <laughs> Tim... Bryn was there at the beginning of TMZ. Oh, I love that show. No, but I, but Bryn left because Bryn found out that TMZ was going to be TMZ. Is that true? Did I say that right? You know what I mean? Wow, Drew. <laughs> so you know Harvey? Say, I, I'm only going to say this about that. Um, it wasn't a good fit. It wasn't a good fit. There you go. I'm a lawyer. is that. I gave you an out. I I got all generic on you, and you didn't say don't talk about that's, it. That's one of my guilty well, pleasures. I, I just, I, you know, I, I want to stay truthful, but I, I don't think. <laughs> you don't want to go down into the mud with me? Talk to me today, Drew, is it? <laughs> no. What I want to talk to you about more particularly, uh, just before we get into the, the real good stuff here, because let me just tell you that of the people I've had conversations with over the last 10 years, I would say some of my most memorable and favorite conversations have been with Bryn. She's able to uh, see all sides of so many different stories. She's one of the most eyes wide open human beings I've ever met. And I'm glad you're involved with Ted because you kind of stink of Ted anyway. It's your thing. It's how you're wired. There's a a quote. Feel free to use that. What exactly does Ted Stank smell like? Can you explain this to us? Oh my gosh, true. Stop. Yes. So, so how can how can I how can can I I be of service here? Right. (laughs) Well, first of all, I want to know if how well do you know the Pope? Because he showed up. Well, he didn't show up. He showed up by video link. Was it live or was it was it pre-taped? The Pope. Yeah, it was Memorex for sure. Um, (laughs) It was Memorex, but I. I think, you know, isn't it great, like, a pope and a rabbi walk into Ted? Is that the greatest thing <laughs> nice. of a joke? Yes, Rabbi Sachs. <laughs> rabbi Sachs was there. S-A-C-K-S. Um, yeah. I'm... Both of them. So I got a chance to speak with with Rabbi Sachs and um, did not get a chance to speak with the pope. But oh. I did find it 
And I think most people found it kind of wonderful that the two of them were sort of sharing the same message. And neither of them obviously knew the other. You know, the Pope was a big surprise for everyone. Yeah. So that had been uh, a long, long time in the making. And uh, I think people were, were delighted, and including, uh, you know, Stephen Colbert, who had a good old time with <laughs> Pope showing up on Ted. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, Ted, though, the Ted Talks, that whole scene strikes me as not exactly a place where spiritual religion-y stuff goes down a whole lot. So, you know, a rabbi and the Pope walked into Ted. I mean, that's that was a weird phenomenon for Ted, don't you think? You know, I would say that Ted is in no way explicitly religious, but um, any idea that might be attached to faith, for instance, Annie Lamott was one of our speakers this year. Right. And I mean, you know that she is um, you know, ag- aggressively uh, about her faith in her most delicious and imperfect way. And so I don't think that Ted in any way bans the conversation, but it is not an advocate any, of any kind of religious point of view. And certainly we do a lot of talks with um, Muslims, refugees, and, and talks about persecution. So um, I think it would be more accurate to say that uh, we don't proselytize in any way or take a point of view, mm. but we certainly, if, if there is an idea worth sharing, we certainly share it. Oh, you stole my line. That's how I was going to close it. Huh? Oh, well. Oh, there you go. Oh, well. Okay, what I what I want to get to with you, Bryn, is, and this is how this... this uh, interview came about. You and I were chatting this week about um, where I was at post-Camino, and at the risk of yeah. irritating every person who's heard me say this for the last four months... No, please, Drew, say it again. <laughs> I walked a thousand kilometers on the Camino de Santiago, and I spent three months in a vow of silence, and I went to this monastery on an island off the coast of Western Sahara, and I had this great experience in this terrific thing, and I was hoping to come back like Gandhi 2.0, and I came back Drew.02. Um, and I... I'm frustrated with I'm maybe this the 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 stickability of of that sort of experience of any life-changing experience. How do we grab on to the stickability of things? Because I think if we just continue on, it's easy to just continue on. It's so easy to slip into cruise control. It's so easy to go back to the old paradigm. So basically, this is one big therapy session between Bryn Friedman and Drew Marshall. Uh, Bryn, of course, being the therapist. So, what what do I do? Can you fix me now? No, <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because really, I think when we started this conversation um, was that I was telling you that I kind of had a life-changing experience after a medical emergency. And... Um, one of the things that had happened to me was that I lost, because I had this medical emergency, and I think that we all have our mode that we're most comfortable in, right? So your mode is, you know, jokey and um, sort of pretending that you're not really serious while being probably one of the most sensitive people I know. And Why you got to be like that? I just got to tell you the truth. And, you know, I think each of us kind of has that go-to mode, right? So for me, the go-to mode is 
um, thinking. You know, I always think if there's a problem, I can think my way out of it. And if I ha- and if I haven't thought my way out of it, it's because I'm not thinking hard enough. I'm not being smart enough, and that I believe that all answers are in my head. And so when I had this surprise, sort of ma- massive major surgery, I had no capacity to think my way out of it. It was a kind of complete surrender situation. And when that happens, I think when you're out of your mode, all of your different senses wake up. Like if you are blind, you know, your capacity to hear and to touch changes. So suddenly I realized that my gut was going off like a gong. And it had been going off like a gong and I had not been paying attention. And for me, and I, want, I mean, I know this is about you, Drew, I promise you, but for me, the realization was, you know, your ego lives in your head because your head can project the past and the future and your head can imagine yourself in all sorts of both grandiose ways and also ways in which you are the worst person on earth. But either way, it's outsized and your heart will often mislead you. But your gut is in the present. Your gut is the sort of fount of your wisdom because it is in the present. It is, it is, it is the most connected to your most human visceral um, reality. And that the more I started to pay attention and act from my gut, the more it led me to truth. So the question is, how do you keep that sticky, right? Mm. Um and what some wise person once said to me, well, you can't take a shower on Monday and still feel clean on Friday. So you have to take your shower every day. So for me, because I'm so slow and I cannot get this stuff and, and having anything be sticky is so hard, I have to wake up every morning and remind myself what is real. I have to tell myself, it's like in AA, people throw their keys under the bed. Do you know this one? No. So that every morning, no matter what, they have to get on their knees. Oh, I like they that. They have to start their day on their knees because whatever your faith position is, you, you know, it's always about something bigger than yourself, whether it's being a service, whether it's serving the community, whether it's a faith question. But if you're only in your ego, you're never going to be out of your old patterns, right? So I think the question is, I would have for you is, what are your practices? How have you changed your practices? How have you changed your show? You know, what are you doing to have different signpostings? That, that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, by the way, you know, failing most of the time. But what I'm trying to do is create first signposts to remind me every day because otherwise I forget on a daily basis what I knew yesterday. It's like, you know, you wake up in the morning ignorant and by the end of the day you come back into yourself and you wake up the next morning ignorant. So it's daily. So what are you doing? Okay. Different. So first of all, when you, when you say to me that I need to incorporate various disciplines in my life, daily disciplines. That's what I heard, daily disciplines. Um, daily reminders. It doesn't have to be, you know, discipline's a kind of dirty word, right? Okay, well, paint it with whatever brush you want, but it still means i got to do something regularly every day, each day, yeah. 
and I don't I don't like that. I don't want to do that. It reminds me of when I was hanging out with in the Jesus scene, and I had to wake up every morning. Not had to, but you know, it was pretty much guilted on you that you need to wake up and get into God's word and and spend time with the Lord and and pray and and I just. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, well, I know I'm lazy. Um, I was going to say, maybe I'm just lazy. I know I'm lazy. Um, and I, and, and habitual rituals make me itch and scratch because a rash comes along with that stuff for me. So I guess I'm never going to so, change. Well, maybe. I mean, that's your choice, right? <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if that's what you choose. Um, I don't think anybody can make you change. I think I'm going to just say the most obvious thing. You're obviously not in enough pain because when you're in enough pain, then, you know, it it must be that the complaining and the, and the bitching about it works better for you than the changing. (laughs) Don't even, I'm just looking at, I'm just looking at your face and going, yep, there you go. But you know what I'm saying? It's like you're getting mileage out of a, a perpetual wine. And, you know, so as long as that works, and as long as people are indulging you um, and not holding you to a higher, you know, like, okay, Drew, this is old. Like, this is an old story of yours. You know, I'm a perpetual ninth, you know, ninth grader. I don't change. You know, I just want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm lazy. Well, then that's the story. Right. That's the narrative that you're fulfilling. For me, I was sick of my own narrative. And by the way, it wasn't working for me in a way that I wanted to. It, it wasn't, like, the thing that I found that was this momentary glimmer that I just want to keep doing my best to get back to is um, I always feel like it's my job to take care of everybody. It's my job to be the person who, I I think because I'm afraid that if I don't, like nobody will take care of me, right? Mm. And um, that, so first of all, it's just a hard thing to even like admit that, oh God, maybe, you know, I'm not lovable enough that somebody or people will take care of me. And then, you know, here I am, I can't take care of myself. And, what happened was I was um, surrounded. I mean, not only by my kids, which blew my mind um, in particular that they could step up, but every one of my friends who showed up, and I, I physically felt, and that this probably sounds so nutty, but um, that I healed like incredibly fast. I mean, and I was so grateful every day for this love that I had not even allowed in and um boy was that humbling and boy do i want to live in that and not in my own head Hmm. so it felt so good it felt so right and it also made me feel like oh i could really feel when somebody was being authentic i could really feel people in a different way and um, I guess that felt so good. It's like being in love. I wanted to hold on to it. So maybe you haven't found something that feels so good that you want to hold on to it. Hmm. I'm not sure this was a good move bringing Bryn on the show. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm loving every minute of it. Um, I mean, 
right? Like you just, like my experience of you, and you know I love you, right? I mean, I do. You're a dear, dear friend. Um, but my experience of you is that you like to challenge people to the conversation, but you don't really like to hear the answer. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hold on. No, I like to hear the answers. I'm just not no, sure. No, I'm not, not sure I, 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 can, I assimilate the answer. I'm not sure I... Yeah. So you like to hear the answer for them. Yes. You're a great listener. Yeah. You love to hear the answer. You love to get the story out of other people. Yes. And you're brilliant at it. I mean, um, and that it seems like there's a way in which it doesn't work for you to take that on board or make it your own. Yeah. Right. But I mean, and it's hard, right? That's the hardest thing because being human is to normalize a situation, right? No matter how dramatic, you know, after 9-11, everybody will never be the same again. We're never going back to the mundane. We're ne- but of course, you know, it, you know, we need to normalize. That's part of the way that you get through the day. You need to normalize. So the question is, like, when does normalize become a rut? Right. And right. when does normalize become a path? Bryn Friedman, on the line with us, all the way from down in California, AA, I think. Is that, are you at home right now, Bryn? Yes, I'm at home. Uh, say hi to the Beebs for me, will you? I will. I will. <laughs> do you do you see him often at the markets? Have you? What, who is the biggest celebrity you, you've ever seen at the uh, Calabasas markets, other than me when I was there with you? Yeah, gosh. I mean, they're they're all there. The Kardashians, Bieber. I mean, it's. It's unsightly, what can I tell you? <laughs> it's unsightly. <laughs> You're funny. Need some cream for that, dude. Um, okay, the anesthetic of familiarity is something that I, uh, while I was on the Camino, a guy from Ireland kind of hit me with that phrase. And it was actually, I think, coined by Christopher Hitchens, or one of those famous atheists, the other British guy. Uh, the, the anesthetic of familiarity is something that, um, th- that I think I, I don't know how to deal with that one. Because I get familiar with something fairly quick, and then I get numb, and then I tune out, and then I, I, I turn into a pessimistic jerk. Do you understand that pattern in me? I do. Um, so I have a couple of... Um, so I always think, like, you know, when you're bored, you're boring. And um, I think that the... You know, do you know who Esther Perla is? No. She, well, first you maybe want to have her on your show at some point, an absolutely brilliant writer about relationships, monogamy, et cetera. And she says, you know, we have all these expectations. So I'm just going to use this in a love relationship, right? But it could be in any relationship. We have all these expectations. You know, what do we want from our partner? Well, we want intimacy. We want to be seen. We want security. And at the same time, we want adventure, we want to be pushed to the edge. We want we want a little bit of, uh, of unfamiliarity because you lean in. I mean, whether it's in a storytelling or a person, unless you have surprise, if you know what's going to happen, you absolutely become anesthetized. Mm-hmm. You don't see them move anymore. And she says that, you know, that this is our own inward journey because what happens is we we get bored with the vision of ourselves in the other person's eyes. You know, a lot of things happen when you fall in love with somebody, and much of it is this kind of 
narcissistic, I love the reflection of me in you. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. And so we get enamored of that. But then once we've kind of won that over or seen that or it's become the repetitive movie, um, then we're bored because we want to see ourselves differently. And so obviously, you know, wise people, not me, like Esther Perla, really understand that it's about getting into the surprise and adventure of yourself to bring that to other people and to understand that, um, you know, there's an endless well of fascination in another person if you're willing to dig through the mud and the messiness both of yourself and that other person. And, and it's really hard. And it's really easy, again, to normalize. I mean, I think it's all the theme of what you're asking about is this numbness. Yep. And, they, and how do you keep yourself awake? And at least, you know, again, uh, I think a lot of people have different ways of doing it. Um, you know, for me, it's surrounding myself with people who don't buy my BS <laughs> or will challenge me or will remind me of what I said, I, how I was going to be different, or, you know, doing some kind of daily practice for myself so that I remind myself how I want to be different. Because if you don't act different, you won't be different. You know, there's a great um, saying in the 12-step program is that you can't think your way into right action, but you can act your way into right thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because you change your neural pathways when you act differently. And that's, I think, the trick, because these are such well-worn neural pathways, right, that we are bored, and you changed a pathway when you were on a Camino, but then you came back in a lot of ways to the same old. So, oh, okay. Your yeah, no. Listen, know? what I'm here. This is what I'm sitting here thinking. I mean, I'm listening to you, but I'm also thinking you're like a walking TED talk. <laughs> no, really, you've no, just you've just com- you've just combined eleven TED talks in this interview. Huh. You're funny. You're funny. Well, but the ambivalence. Okay, one more thing about ambivalence. Yeah. This is the hardest one for me. Okay. Somebody, somebody else again, not me, said. Um, there is no love without ambivalence. And to I, embrace... I, hold that, on, hold on, hold on. Just say that again because I don't think I got it. There is no love without ambivalence. I don't understand. Right. All love is, is filled with ambivalence, and we think that it shouldn't be. But it is because we're ambivalent about ourselves. Hmm. And we're necessarily ambivalent. I mean, and it's right to be ambivalent. How could you love every single thing? in another person? How could another person not bore you sometimes? How could you not bore yourself sometimes? You know, but that's, that's not the end, right? That's the beginning. That's the start of the hero's journey, not the place it ends. Wow. You know, back when we used to hang out a lot more, I don't, I'm not sure I knew you were this smart. No, no, you're kidding. I did. Yes, of course I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just, um, I'm honored, honestly, Drew, to talk to you anytime. Yeah, I'm actually sitting here thinking I need to need to turn you into a regular bit on my show, but I'm not sure I can afford you. So I'll have my people contact your people, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Bryn, thank you, seriously, thank you so much for uh, all of the input you've had in my life. You are a... Uh, 
Uh, I, I know one, maybe two other people like this, but you are just one of those rare soul crackers. And, uh, and I just appreciate you a lot. So thank you. I appreciate you, and thank you for, for uh, inviting me. We'll talk soon, Bryn. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bryn Friedman on The Drew Marshall Show. I think it just got schooled in a couple of things you there. You did. Short break. When we come back, Scott Harrison, founder, CEO of Charity Water. This guy uh, went from, which is uh, clubbing. Oh, okay. He was a clubber. No, I thought he, maybe he was you having had a stroke. Hiccups, yeah. yeah. Uh, to uh, changing millions of people's lives. That's a good thing. Quite a story. And then Bear Reinhardt, lead singer of the Grammy-nominated Need to Breathe at 3 o'clock. We'll be right back. Let's say, but-